Oh, great God, you are holy. Holy, holy. There is none like you. Father, you have seen fit to give us your word. You have given us your word through your Son. You have enlightened our minds through your Spirit. Father, may we may we listen to the words of Christ and be changed for your glory and for his sake. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. I had a, uh, mm, it is it is really I don't even know I, I say it I guess a lot and I don't know how to say it I don't know how to speak the words of what a great blessing and pleasure and gift it is to be a pastor of a church and get to meet with people and talk with people and and t- and tell them of Christ. An occasion this week. Um, to interact with someone who was struggling greatly with their assurance. Um, and I want to encourage anyone who's listening, who's here, who's a professing Christian on dealing with a lack of insurance, assurance. Uh, what I have found in my 15 plus years of pastoring and even before that as I used to counsel men is that that almost always I can't remember of a time where a lack of assurance was not preceded by sin unrepented of unconfessed sin that uh, in our in our uh, confessional statement um, <laughs> Christians who have entered into some special sin which wounded the conscience and grieve, grieveth the spirit. And, and for those believers, it says later in the paragraph, and for true believers, they are preserved from utter despair. Christians sin. And what I have found is when people are struggling with assurance, it's because they have some sin that they are hiding, that they aren't confessing. And that they're they're in bondage to, and and repentance and belief is not something we simply do one time when we be saved. The Christian life is one of ongoing repenting and believing, ongoingly repenting and believing. Uh, yeah. This, this, this confession of sin that brings what's dark into the light, this will free up a believer to have their joy in the Lord restored. And I watched it happen again this week. I watched it happen. I watched someone in so much anguish and wondering, do I even know Christ? To confessing sin and then watching and hearing testimony even today of the joy they've been experiencing all week in the Lord First John 1 John 1.1 that which was from the beginning this is the Apostle John who was with Christ which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle John saying, we, I've seen Jesus. I've seen eternal life. I've seen the person of Jesus Christ. I've touched Him. I've talked to Him. I've seen Him. And, and I'm writing this for you all who will come after me. 
We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light, and He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Watch what's going to happen when... When, when I will watch this person who has now confessed this sin and has confessed the ugliness of it and the, and the deceit of it and the, the hiding of it, watch how they will be cleansed. In this area of their life, I, I anticipate a cleansing that they've never experienced before. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. If we confess our sins, He forgives our sins. I am writing these things so that you don't sin, but if you do sin, don't forget you have an advocate. You are safe. You are safe in Christ. And then he says, then he encourages, and, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We, so, so when we, we confess our sin, and, the, and we, we bring to light the things that are in the dark, as Christians, well, listen, as non-Christians under salvation, but then as Christians, as we live the Christian life, He's faithful and just, and so then we do that, and we're, we're cleansed from our unrighteousness, and we go forth walking in the light. Until we don't. <laughs> so I was meeting with this, this person this week, and simply asked did Jesus die for your sins did he die to pay the penalty for your sins did he die that you might have the power to overcome those sins and what I got back was weeping and joy and yes and they responded is it that simple yeah it's that simple it's that simple You believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, lived truly as man. He lived a sinless life. And then took on the wrath of God the Father to pay for the sins of those who believe in Him. Do do you believe and do you understand that you've earned nothing from God except His wrath for your sins? That's all that you're owed. Do you you know that that's what you deserve? You deserve the righteous judgment of God. And have you believed on Christ to pay the penalties for those sins? And if the answer is yes, it's that simple. And my strong encouragement, exhortation, I beg you, Christian, if you're hiding sin, expose it. Somebody in here needs to hear this today. Confess it. 
the freedom and joy that will follow. I can give testimony anyone here if you struggle with assurance that you struggle with assurance because you have some sin that you don't want to talk about. You do not want to confess. You have a fear of men and what they may do to you. Chapter 18, verse 4 of the assurance of grace and salvation. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted as by negligence in preserving of it by falling to some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit by some sudden or vehement temptation by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light yet are they never destitute of the seed of God and life of faith that love of Christ and the brethren that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty out of which by the operation of the Spirit this assurance may in due time be revived and by the which in the meantime they are preserved from utter despair if you unconfess sin and you're struggling with assurance and you're on the brink of utter despair confess your sins and don't lie to yourself well God knows I don't need to confess it God knows agree with him that it's sin clean up your messes with those you sinned against and for the Christian watch assurance be strong watch how you'll be able to say what's going to happen when you die I'm going to be in glory that's what's going to happen when I die. Not, ooh, I don't know. I don't know. The reason you don't know and you would even dare to say that is because probably there's sin in your life you're not confessing. So be encouraged. Be reproved. Be corrected. Be spurred on to love and good works. Nothing it's in the dark we'll stay in the dark time and truth go together okay open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 we see Jesus warning concerning greed I think this is one of the passages that we are very familiar with this morning I read it often I will allude to it during our time of tithes and offerings Um, so I think there's a temptation for us to think yeah we we know this one we know this passage it's already been handled but I I really believe this is a message from from our Lord that we really need to listen to and pay close attention to I really want us to hear and listen so please stand and I will read Again, Luke twelve thirteen through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things which you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You may be seated. We live and have lived uh, in, a, in a time and place. In 20th century and 21st century uh, North America, in the United States, where we, we have so much. We have so much grain and goods. 
just think about I was thinking about this think about the first house you lived in or the first house you purchased and think about where you live now the things that you have now that you you didn't have growing up the 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 I mean, I don't know what your experience was, but my experience was a one-car family for the longest time, and the back door didn't even shut, and my brother fell out going around the corner one time. Now we have five cars in the driveway of my house. Anyone, anyone age 20 or over, and, and I think it's a great, a great blessing to many of you children that are in this place in the families God's placed you in because you, you haven't necessarily been filled with this kind of teaching, maybe to some extent, but we were all taught that, that planning for retirement was a necessary thing. Every one of us over the age of 20, we were taught that planning for retirement is very necessary. Pension plans, 401ks, IRAs, annuities, CDs, stock portfolios, Accumulating land, cryptocurrencies. Build enough wealth that you'll be able to quit working and enjoy your retirement. That's what we've been taught. Build enough wealth and you'll be able to enjoy retirement until the day you die. When I was young, I don't remember storage facilities. Now, there might have been some in Lincoln, Illinois, or Dodge City, Kansas. I simply don't remember them. I drove by Lincoln, into Lincoln the other day, on the outskirts of town, a big, huge storage facility. It wasn't there. Storage facilities are everywhere these days. There's all around, right out here by our church. <laughs> Used to be, Many houses didn't have a garage, and then it was an unattached garage, then it was an attached garage. Well, now we've all got garages, and they're full of stuff, and maybe three or four cars also. The temptation we have for greed and covetousness is no excuse, but it's very strong in the age in which we live. So I'm very hopeful that this morning our minds will be open to be renewed actually in this moment this is why I don't want us just to pass over this because we've heard it before I'm hopeful that we're here to have our minds renewed that our lives would be transformed bring us back to where we are in the meantime when so many thousands of people had gathered together they were trampling one another so Jesus got this huge following so many people their, their Xbox and the Walmart running over the top of each other to try to get near him he began to say to his disciples first he starts talking to his disciples remember he's just let the Pharisees and the scribes have it he's given them woes because of their false religion and, and leading people along with themselves to hell He's warning of the hypocrisy. Here he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom after he is killed has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why not? Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. Listen, you want to fight hypocrisy? Fear God. And I will tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And the one who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Fear God and proclaim Christ. Believe on Christ. Believe on Christ and be bold to talk of Christ. 
And they bring you to synagogues, and the rulers and all authorities do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So, you want to fight hypocrisy, he's telling them spiritual warfare. You want to fight hypocrisy, believe in God, profess Christ, and count on the Holy Spirit to guide you. And this is what he's telling his disciples amidst this big crowd. So he's talking about, about their spiritual danger that they're in with hypocrisy and how to fight that through believing on the triune God. And now we see out of nowhere, a materialist interrupts. He is talking about spiritual matters and a materialist interrupts. Some of the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A man interjects, he wants help from Jesus to get his money. He calls him teacher. Didaskalos, a teacher in the New Testament, one who teaches concerning things of God and the duties of man, the teachers of the Jewish religion, rabbis. He sees Jesus in front of this huge crowd. He has a lot of influence. People are listening to him. He's talking about the things of God. So he sees him as a rabbi and he said, look, fix my problem. You, you're presenting yourself as this man of God, a representative of God, then, then bring his law to bear on this situation. Tell my brother, he tells, he says, Ipon, to give instructions or to direct somebody to do something with authority. He, he tells Jesus, look, you have all this influence. You have all this wisdom. I demand that you tell my brother to give me what's rightfully mine. Since, since you put yourself out there as a teacher, then fix my problem and tell my brother to follow the law and give me my money. We won't take the time, but there were inheritance laws in the Old Testament. We don't know about this dispute. We don't know what was going on. We don't know if actually the older brother was keeping money from him rightly, wrongly. We don't know. We just know that he was wanting to bring the law to bear on the situation. He wanted this rabbi to settle the problem. Thinking about what? His money. He wanted his money. So we don't know any of the particulars. We don't know if this man was rightly owed money. We don't know if it was being kept from him. We don't know. But we do know this. Here's what we do know. Jesus did not come to adjudicate earthly matters. We do see that. If Jesus was about the law, he would have certainly, perfectly adjudicated this matter. He would have perfectly adjudicated this matter. He would have heard the information and the data from both the parties, and he would have given the sentence or the, or the fix. He would have adjudicated the matter perfectly. Yes? That's not what he came for. He came to seek and save sinners. He came to save their eternal soul. He didn't come to bring the law to bear on a people. That's not what he came for. He did not come to bring the law to bear on a people. The guy's asking, hey, implement the law. He's saying, no. Who made me judge or arbitrator over you? I'm not here to make sure you have your fair share of wealth. I'm not here. I'm telling you, I'm just talking to you about eternity. Talking to you about how to fight hypocrisy to my disciples. I'm telling my disciples how to fight hypocrisy that they might be right with God in heaven. And now you come in with this question about your earthly money. And I'm not here for that. So he, he takes this opportunity to address this materialist. materialist. So, so this man's about the matter, about matter, about material. He wants his possession. He wants his money. And so when he does this, Jesus takes this opportunity to, to warn about greed and covetousness. He, he uses this, this, this interruption of this materialist man. He uses this interruption, this temporally focused man, 
to warn his disciples and this large crowd to beware and be on guard. He said to them, all the crowd and his disciples, take care. Harao. Pay attention to. Concern yourself with. Take responsibility for causing something to happen. He tells them, take responsibility and make sure that you be on guard. Philosophy. Guard closely. Keep watch. Keep in custody to obey, to keep commandments, obedience. He's saying, you, this thing we're going to talk about here, you can't just live on autopilot. You have to be ready and take guard. You have to be aware. You have to pay attention to yourself that you be on guard about something I'm about to tell you. This is not something you can live on autopilot about. This word for guarded is the word we see in Romans 28.16 about the, the guard, the soldiers guarding Paul. It's a very strong term. First Timothy, to guard the deposit entrusted to you. Second Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is a strong warning that Jesus is giving to make sure that you intentionally focus and protect against something. This is strong language that I'm trying to have me here and you here this morning. He's, he's warning strongly, you've got to watch out for this. This guy, this guy who just interrupted my, my spiritual conversation to bring in this earthly matter, this is what you have to watch out for. This very thing that you're witnessing happen before your eyes. He said to them, what, is he, what are they to take care and be on guard against? All covetousness. All panoxia. Pleonexia, greediness, avarice, and excessive desire of acquiring more and more. Listen, don't, don't act as if this isn't a temptation for you. Please don't. And an excessive desire of acquiring more and more. Take take heed don't don't pass over this warning this morning brothers and sisters don't pass over this warning we swim in the waters of acquiring more and more I'm sure it's true of all ages but I'm I know I know just in my 60 years now I guess it is of life how this is just increasing in the world I live in one, my, my uh, noticing of it in my own heart. But two, just looking at the, the materialistic way in which we live in the United States of America in the 21st century and coming out of the 20th century. You know, the go back to post-World War II when it was two cars, two people working, bigger houses, all of this stuff that we've been raised in and around. This is, this is what we swim in. This, 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 this desire... Excessive desire of acquiring more and more. Just check your own heart. What is it you really want? So he says, take care, be on your guard against all greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Hipparco. Possessions, goods, wealth, or property. Now listen, we'll talk about this more later. This is not talking about talents and gifts. This is talking about actual stuff. Mammon. Money, possessions. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking to us about this morning. Regardless of what every ad on television that you see, regardless of every fourth Facebook post that is trying to sell you something, whatever is your algorithm say you like, for me it's golf stuff, every fourth ad trying to sell me something, regardless of that, regardless of what your flesh tells us, us, what it tells us, continue, our life does not consist in the abundance of goods, possessions, wealth, and property. And then I want you to think for a minute. Honestly think this morning that we might have our minds renewed. How much time do we spend looking for, planning for, the next thing we're going to consume or 
add to our pile of treasures. The actual time spent looking for clothes or the next vacation or the next golf club or the next fishing pole or the next restaurant we're going to eat at. How much time do we spend on on the kids' curriculums? The time we actually spend chasing after things, planning, preparing, and then consuming these things. We spend a lot of time we spend a lot of time getting stuff. And if, you, if, you, if you're going to tell yourself you don't, I think you're lying to yourself. You may not do it every day, but when you've got something you want, man, your attention is going to go to it and you're going to figure it out. And everything around you is going to support you in this effort. Unfortunately, including me sometimes. And each other. Let's go back to his warning. Take care and be on your guard against all covenances, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this is a really, I think it's a very key thing to this passage. There's three words for life that we talk about regularly around here there's bias, there's suke, and there's zoe. And bios is daily life, physical life. Suka is the inner self, the heart, the mind, the psychological uh, faculty life, the self. And then Zoe is uncreated eternal life of God. So when he says to them, your life, one's life does not consist of their possessions, which word do you think he's using? Zoe. He's saying your eternal life has nothing to do with your worst earthly possessions. So watch out for greed. One's life is what is not about what he has. Jesus wasn't here to address temporal life. He was here to address eternal life, not physical life or earthly life. Not personhood. We're going to come back probably to this, but, but think about some of the tests for greed. Do I think about material things or about God Himself more often? Not the chores you have, not your jobs, not your callings. I'm saying, do you think more about material things or God Himself? What do you think about more often? And if material things, then there's greed. There's covetousness. Do I compromise godly character in pursuit of material things? Do I compromise godly character in pursuit of material things? And that is greed. Does my happiness soar with the new car, the new dress, the new golf club? Or is my joy more in seeing a soul saved? Honestly, what trips your trigger? And if it's a new car, the new house, the new dress, the new golf club, if that's what really gets you excited, it's greed. <laughs> this is big. How do I respond when I lose material things? How do I respond when the market crashes or my house is worth less or there's a fire and I lose my favorite possessions? How do I respond to that happening? If, if you, you are just beside yourself when you lose monetary wealth or possessions, it's greed. One more to think about. What? Don't answer too quickly. Or answer quickly and be honest. What would I do if I came into a small fortune? What would I do if a million dollars showed up in my account tomorrow? Would I get a pool? 
get a new car, out of the house, fix my 20-year-old world wardrobe, or would my first thought be, man, we could use a new sanctuary at Grace Fellowship Church. Man, there's missionaries in Kenya we could be supporting. There's churches to plant. What would my first thought be? What's your first thought? Honestly, have your mind renewed that your life may be transformed. And then Jesus, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. I don't care about your spiritual stuff. I'm here, and I'm here there, and you're an expert. Bring the lot of bear. Give me my money. Arbitrate. He told him a parable. Ah, sorry. But he said to the man, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And now he's going to tell a parable. He's going to give us a parable or a story that helps to illustrate the thing he's warning them about right now. And he gives a parable of the rich fool. He told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. In God's providence, in God's doings, in God's kindness, this man had a plentiful crop. He had a lot of gain. And what's his first thought? Is his first thought toward God? No, here's what it is. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. It's what shall I do with all my stuff? I mean, after all, you earn all the money you make. You're the one working hard for it. What shall I do with my money? There's no acknowledgement of God. No thoughts of how, how He might use some of this or all of this great increase for God's work or for God's people. There's no focusing on loving God and loving people. Only focus on loving Himself. I've got so much gain, I can't even store it all in my current situation. Man, what am I going to do? My bars aren't big enough. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'll do this. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And then I will store all my grain and all my goods. My barns aren't quite big enough. I don't have enough room in my garage and my base anymore. I better go get a storage facility. I better build a bigger place because I've got to hang on to my stuff. I mean, after all, I've got to retire someday. I'll tear down my barns and build large ones. There I'll store all my grain and my goods. I'll invest in my future. I'll add an annuity to my portfolio. I'll get some more land. I'll buy my vacation home now while I have the money. I'll find a way to keep it for myself and my kids and their kids. I, I, me, me, my, my. How am I going to make sure I keep all of this? And after I do this, after I build these bigger barns, I'm set. I'm good. I will say to my soul, by the way, soul here, you think it's bias, suke, or zoe? This man is a parable. I'll say to my inner self, my suke. I'll say to me, So, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He has just achieved the American dream. And oh, by the way, the Kenyan dream. Kenyans buy land in their homeland and they, over the lifetime, build a place to retire in. And one of the, especially the, 
uh, the Kikuyu. They, their goal is retirement, and their retirement isn't 401k or an IRA. It's, it's land back where they're from. So this man has just, just achieved the American or Kenyan dream. He is set. Now he can just chill. His retirement secure. Sit back. Travel. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. You've won the game. <laughs> I just took my mind there right there when I said that. Back when I was in the financial services industry, one of the things we talked about with our clients was if they'd won the game, we would use a baseball analogy. If you won the game and you're in the ninth, eighth inning, you don't want to be too aggressive. You want to just, just be safe and, and live out the rest of the game because you've won the game. We actually used to sell to this need to have won the game. It's one of the reasons that when I became a Christian and was still in that business, we had to revamp our whole business and our whole conversations and do things much differently than we did before. And the most greedy clients, they didn't stay around. Matter of fact, it was funny because all of my, all of my friends that were my clients, the kind of guy I was, they didn't like the new style. They liked me selling to their greed. So, you've got this easy life of comfort. And so, it's not unique to North Americans in the 21st century, by the way. It was happening in Jesus' day. This is the parable he's telling. 1 Corinthians 15:32. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I forget? I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no eternity, then let's live it up now. This is Paul writing in his day. Solomon, some thousand years earlier, and I and I commend joy. The man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. And behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. For those with no view towards eternity, then, then, then making sure that they live comfortably now is all they have. All this man had that came up to Jesus had no view of eternity. He wasn't listening to Jesus' preaching. All he had was now. So all he was focused on was now. Because we have something far greater, don't we? Or do we? How do we think? How do we act? What do we do? Greed and covetousness is how we are going to live in the flesh if we just go on autopilot. That's how we're going to live. Especially in the, in the culture we're in that's going to keep selling this to us. Aggressively selling this to us. What's your number? He told him the parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so, dude, you got plenty. You did it. You did it. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Relax. You won the game. Your retirement's secure. Your earthly life is handled. Relax. You're good. But God said to him, Fool! Yeah, he made a great plan to preserve all of your wealth. All your comforts handled. You're a fool. This is what God says in this parable to this man. Ephron. Without reason, senseless, foolish, stupid, without reflection or intelligence, acting rashly. God told this wealthy, self-focused, earthly-minded man in this parable, he was a fool. He was stupid. Because he's going to die, and this wealth was going to do him no good. God said to him, fool, this night your soul 
Which one? Zoe, suke, bias, suke. Your personhood. And the things you have uh, are, is required of you. Suke, inner self, heart, mind, the self. This, this is a really powerful, somewhat hidden reality in this verse. It's a very powerful reality in this verse. He's not talking about Zoe. Jesus was the beginning. Now we're just talking about personhood. Self. This man's life, his personhood, was going to end that night. Done. God said to him, For this night your soul is required. Stay with me here. Apateo. It means to ask back, to demand something back, to exact something due. This term in the Greek language was a, a commercial term. It was used of a loan. Okay, it was a, it was a, so so what, what he's saying is, to this wealthy guy who had all this stuff, tonight, God's calling back the loan. He's loaning your suke. Okay, your suke, your, your, yourself, your personhood. It was loaned to you to be taken back whenever he wants. You made all these plans. Tonight, you're no longer going to exist as a person, as a human being. You got Zoe still, but right now, your life, all you've worked for, all you just kicked your feet up and were proud of, done. You fool. You're so stupid. This is a really important, again, I think a hidden thing here. All of our lives, all of our earthly lives are on loan from God. He will take them back whenever He wants. Your suke, your bias, is going to go away whenever God decides. And what's left is your zoe. And Jesus is trying to tell them, you don't, you, your, your zoe has nothing to do with your earthly possessions. Your suke does, but that's going to be taken from you whenever God wants to take it from you. It's of no use to you. It is of use to God. It's of no use to you. God owns our lives. We're merely on loan in our earthly existence. This is a very powerful reality that we have to understand. Our earthly lives are on loan from God. He'll demand them back when He does. And, and all that's left over then is Zoe. All that's left over is billions and billions and billions and billions on ending years. Without your stuff. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? It's kind of a sarcastic rhetorical question inside of this parable. He's saying this richly man, you know, you you pile all this stuff up, you're gonna you're gonna die tonight. Then whose are they gonna be? In other words, they're not going to be yours. Who inherited all this stuff? Your kids? You know what? They inherited it. We won't do this today, but something I've talked about with people many times and had people leave this church partially because of it. Yeah, give it to your kids and give them the same problem you have. Especially give it to your unbelieving kids and give them that problem. Not a great idea. Ecclesiastes 2.18 I hated all my toil. Solomon said, Solomon had it all. Yeah? He, may, he would make this rich man in this parable look poor. Solomon said, I hated all my toil in which I turned into the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. I don't know what my kids are going to do with it. I do know what God's going to do with it. And I do know where to get it that God can use it. And so actually do you. 1 Timothy 6, 7. <laughs> second and third generation, if you know, again, the world I used to live in, I knew lots of these. Second and third generation silver spoon children usually blow the family's wealth and they're almost always debauched people. Almost always. The men I used to run with were second and third generation wealth and they were debauched. I just happened to weasel my way in because I wasn't wealthy. But I wanted their wealth for my business, so that's who I hung with. And I loved to do the things they did because I was just as debauched. So be careful 
leaving all of that, building up this big, huge pile and leaving it to your children. If that's the goal and motivation that has you to be comfortable in amassing of wealth for your own care and well-being. For Timothy 6, we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. This is actually true, isn't it? This is spiritual physics. Or metaphysics. Spirit physics. Metaphysics. It's just the way it is. None of these cars or houses or clothes or lands or dollars or silver or gold or crypto or golf clubs or golf balls. None of it's going with us. There's no playing Augusta in heaven. That's, that's the lie that gets told to tickle people's ears to have a reason to go to heaven because look, it'll be the better golf course you've ever played down here. Nonsense. I'll be worshiping my Lord. A big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, play football in the yard. Nonsense. Nonsense. As he came from his mother's womb, Ecclesiastes 5, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing from his toil that he may carry away in his hand. Only a fool would plan for his or her wealth to bring them comfort and peace. Only a fool would do that. It's very short-lived and, and you'll die and it'll be of no use to you. So, so who is the subject of this parable? Who is the target of this parable would probably be a better way to have written that. Who's the target of the parable? It's not the man in the parable, is it? It's a parable. He doesn't even exist. And if he did exist, he's now dead. So who is he speaking to? Who's the target? The listeners are the target. His audience is the target. So he ends the parable with this statement of fact. Again, this metaphysical, just the way it is. Here's Jesus now out of the parable saying this statement to end this section of his teaching, this truth. Just like this foolish man that I just talked about in this parable who is self-centered and materialistic, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Anyone who lays up treasures for himself or herself, his kids or his grandkids, it's like this foolish man who has nothing to show for his labor in eternity. We are to be rich toward God. And again, people like to take this and then soften it a tad. Okay, time, talents, we've got to be rich toward God. And that's true. Everything we are, we steward. And we should be rich toward God. With everything. He's talking about possessions and wealth. He's talking about money. That's what he's talking about. Don't try to mince that and make it something different. This is what Jesus is teaching on this. This, this guy who said, give me my money. Make sure my brother gives me my money. He tells this parable and he says, this is what you are. This is the fool you are if you're not rich toward God. And you store up treasures for yourself. No doubt that's what he's talking about. Wealth. Possessions. Same as Matthew 6.19. Do not... Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where your treasure is, your heart will be. No one can serve two masters. Either hate the one and love the other or devote the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't. You will serve one or the other. And if you're stewarding all things for God, that includes this big plentiful harvest you just took in, rich man. We, we can't ignore this warning. We can't. We, we can't be confused by what it is to be self-focused and God-focused with our resources. We can't. First Timothy 6, 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Where was this man in the parable's hope? In the uncertainty of his riches. I've got these things. I get to live my life, eat, drink, relax, and be merry. But on God, who richly provides us everything to enjoy, there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves, a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. This rich man, he made the mistake of thinking he owned all this stuff. But he actually thinks he owned it. Instead of understanding he was simply a steward of God's stuff. 
in the end, who will the plot of land or the house that I live in, whose will that be? Well, Emily's and then my kids and then they say, it's God's. I just live there. You just live there. It's not yours. Uh, I'm not saying, look, the Bible clearly teaches ownership of things, right? Joe, you own your home. You're paying on it, but you own it. It's yours. Use it for God's purposes. Cal, you run a very successful business. And I, I don't want to puff up or tear down. I'm not, this is just what God is telling us. Christ is telling us. One of, one of the greatest joys of my life is watching Silver Creek have a business that does not profit its owner at all. It's there to provide jobs and income for the families of this church. And I praise God for that. This man, this man in this parable was focused on now, not eternity. Revelation 3, 17, 18. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing you wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so you may be rich, and white garments so you may clothe yourself, and shame your nakedness may not be seen, and sadly you want your eyes so you may see. Jesus says, buy me. Don't put your hope in, in all, of your, all of your wealth. This, this, what I can, this, this rich man in this parable who is self-focused and, and all about taking care of himself, no richness towards God or His people. James 5, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. I think this is true. Think in your own mind. Think of the people you know in your own heart. Most people are afraid of poverty. I would argue they should be more afraid of wealth. I don't see anywhere where poverty is going to be used as judgment against anyone in the scriptures. I see where wealth is going to be used as judgment against certain people in the scriptures. I think we should be a lot more afraid of poverty, of wealth, than of poverty. And yet because we live with greedy hearts, if unchecked, we really are afraid to be poor. We are not at all afraid to be rich. I honestly can tell you, obviously God knows, but I would not be a good rich man. I have not been a good rich man. I just make a lot of money. What does it mean to be rich towards God? It really isn't difficult. We give to God's work. We give to the proclamation of the gospel going forth. We give for the care of the saints. We love God and love people. That's the focus of where our wealth should go. And every, every fiber in our body will fight against that because we've been taught <laughs> plans of retirement. You know, and then the argument comes, well, hey, you don't want to be a burden on the church. No, you don't. Here's what I trust God for, to provide. And those of you that make money, you'll keep making money till the day you die. I, I, John Wesley and this isn't exactly right but I read this John Wesley whatever you think of him he made 28 pounds a year and that's what he lived off of and as his life went along he started to make more money 50 pounds 100 pounds 200 pounds you know what he lived off of? 28 pounds a year you know what he did with all that gain? back into the work of the ministry it's a great idea but he wasn't planning for his future 28 pounds was enough. This rich man, he's not condemned for having the wisdom to, get a, to do whatever he did in God's providence, but whatever he did as a farmer to plant well and whatever you do as a farmer, he did things. He's not condemned for having a big crop. He's condemned for making it about what he was going to do with it for his benefit. 
He was condemned for not being rich toward God. Church doesn't need money, right? We've got money in the bank. If there were more money, we'd have a bigger sanctuary that more people could come to. If there were more money, we'd... I don't know that's true. It would help us in the planting of a church. These are just, that's just the way it is. You know, so, so when you think, well, the church doesn't need my money, I'll keep it. Okay, for what? For what? Because I'm a better keeper of the money and I'll make sure it's there when somebody really needs it. I don't understand. I don't understand based on this particular teaching of Jesus Christ. And it goes against everything I think. What I've been trained. I've said it for years. I'll say it right now because I want to encourage you. This church, I I talk to other pastors and the faithfulness of giving of this church is like no other of anybody I talk to. I mean, it really, God has been kind to us. So, so it's not, it, it's just what Jesus is saying. What is the prayer? If you get that million bucks, what are you going to do with it? We sure would like a pool, wouldn't we, honey? I honestly would. I really, well, I wouldn't personally, but, for, but I'd really like a new sanctuary. We don't need one. We're fine. God's providing. Ah, it's too long a story, but I'll just say it like this. Trinity Baptist Church right now, one of their sources of funding forever since, since it was planted by Keith Underhill, that entity that Keith is part of, there's been a, a rift between Keith and Trinity Baptist over authority in this local assembly. That's being cut off. Something they've come on for 45 years is no longer. We do help, and we'd love to help. And I'm convinced that Trinity Baptist is doing the Lord's work. As imperfectly as we are, but they're doing the Lord's work. You see, I've become convinced that John Cairo and Peter Kamau and Bible Fellowship Church is not, and they will get no more funding. One of those degenerates I used to hang out with. Um, he had multiple houses. One of his houses was out in Arizona. And one of the nicest golf clubs in all of America that I got to go play in the member desk and stay in his $4 million home. And behind his desk was a sign that said, He who dies with the most toys wins. You ever heard that? He lived his life consistent with that. He had it all. I, we rode his Harley. We, I mean, he had it all. He had anything you'd want. He had his own plane. And he really believed that was the goal. Just like this guy in this just like this guy thought. It's not the person who has a little who's poor. It's the person who always wants more that's truly poor. That's the person who's really poor, the one that always wants more. D.L. Moody said this. It does not take long to tell where a man's treasure is. In a 15-minute conversation with most men, you can tell whether their treasure is on earth or in heaven. What do 15-minute conversations reveal about you? Me. Meet somebody and talk to them for 15 minutes. What do you do for a living? Very natural question in our day and age, yes. Take you down a path about your career. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if, if we actually worked for God's kingdom? Like that's actually why we were working? Not for our own retirement. Not for our children's well-being when we go. Again, I want to reiterate, don't leave them with the same problem you have. Don't they need to learn to work, to provide, or just give them something to provide. 
Again, second, third generation wealth, I've seen it. I've watched the debauchery and I've watched them lose it all. Closing thought. Fools live their lives focused on obtaining and consuming all the world has to offer and then leaving plenty for their offspring can do the same. Fools are materialists. They define success by their careers, their houses, their net worth, their portfolios. Christians live their lives focused on all that heaven has to offer. Christians are eternalists. Oh, beloved, that we would be a people who are rich toward God. In this parable, Jesus did not say the man should not have earned wealth. Not what he said. He said that wealth should be used to be rich toward God, not towards himself. So anybody who gets their toast up to us, okay, great. Pastor, the way you're executing that pastor says, I'm not supposed to work and make money. No, go make, go make a gazillion dollars for the kingdom. Honestly. <laughs> Self-serving? No, it's the truth. Every nickel that my family receives is a treasure in heaven for you all. Because it enables me to be a pastor. And have a conversation like I had this week. When I have not financial concerns, it's treasures in heaven for you. When, when Moses can feed his family for a month, it's treasures in heaven for you. That he can go to the Congo for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Marungi can, can, can get another sow for charity to take care of, for the sow that died that they can provide for their family, that he can keep doing the work of a pastor, that is treasures in heaven for you. My next golf driver is not a treasure in heaven for me. Take and do with that what you will. This is what God tells us. This is what Jesus Christ is warning us. He's warning us. I want to reiterate, we live in a time where temptation to be greedy is so real. We so push back at it because we so much want it. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great to build, provide for, to get a start. 22 churches in Moronga County with godly men qualified to be pastor elders that are trained up. Then we could plant 42 churches between here and Wyoming. Oh, that we'd be people who are rich toward God. And grow in that grace of giving like Paul talks about. 